John 17 is our text this morning. I want to look at one verse in this prayer of Jesus to His Father. This prayer He prays shortly before He will go to the cross to accomplish what He's praying for. Brother Jefferson mentioned, prayed in his prayer that our hearts would burn within us as we hear the Word of God. That references um, the two men on the road to Emmaus who were confused and pondering and perplexed over the events that they had seen. And when Jesus walked with them and opened their eyes to the reality of what He had just accomplished, their hearts burned within them while they understood what Jesus was saying. So I want you to know my heart is burning this morning to expound the words of Jesus to you. And may your hearts burn as you see Him speak to you in truth this morning. John 17, the text is verse 17. John 17, verse 17. Jesus prays to the Father, Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. I want to talk to you this morning about grasping truth. Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. In December of 2016, a pizza parlor in Washington, D.C., was invaded on a busy afternoon by a gunman. Most of the people in the parlor fled. He allowed them to leave. He fired a couple of shots. Not at anybody, but at a door. And then, after about 45 minutes, he surrendered and was taken into custody. Well, that sort of thing happens all the time around the country and around the world, and so doesn't seem to bear notice in a message in 2023. But a closer look at that story would reveal this. This was not a gunman who was seeking to rob the store, to take the money or to take the pizza. Instead, this was um, not even a, a man who had ever committed a crime before. He wasn't from D.C., he was from North Carolina. He was a 28-year-old father of two, a faithful father. He was a professed Christian. He wasn't coming to rob the store, he was coming to liberate abused children. He had spent the last three days before he made this trip pouring over videos and documents that seemed very legitimate. Videos that showed that this parlor was the center of a conspiracy. A big conspiracy. A conspiracy with some of the most powerful people that you know of who were the center of this conspiracy. The conspiracy was to take children and abuse them and traffic children. The center of it was this parlor. There was a back room. And you could see where the back room was, where the door was that led to it. 
So he loving his children and loving children in general and hating to see oppression and the innocent be oppressed, he decides, I'm going to do something about this, and drives from North Carolina to Washington, D.C., invades the parlor, lets everybody go free, and then fires two shots at the lock on this door. But the lock on the door didn't lead to the chamber that was, that was um, in the story. It was just a closet. Everything that he was coming to do, he realized in that moment was, was wrong. It, it was a hoax. It wasn't true. What he had read wasn't true. Just recently he was released from prison after serving a number of years. He, he, he surrendered. He knew he was wrong. What's well, a chilling story, isn't it? It's a story about truth and about how difficult it is at times to discern truth. And when you know what truth is, what do you do with it? He gave up his years with his two daughters to spend those years in prison as he sought to liberate a place that actually wasn't housing anything that he thought it was at all. Truth. The Bible here in John 17 uses the word truth, the word the truth that's used in the New Testament. And it's used in all the ways that it's used in the New Testament so we can see what this word means scripturally. It really has three, three meanings or three parts of meaning here for our thoughts this morning. It means that which is real, reality. It means that which is genuine or pure. And it means that which is revealed. So reality, what is real, as opposed to that which is not real or that which is imagined. That's, a, that's quite a, a, a scary prospect in our world today, isn't it? And that's not just hypothetical, it really is real. We live in a world of artificial intelligence. Who knows what that's going to look like in the coming days? We live in a world right now where, you know, if you can just say, my eyes saw something, then you can know that it's real. But videos can be doctored, pictures can be doctored. Some of you guys are really good at that. I had Harris a, few, uh, a year or two ago put my head on the, on the image of a body man so that I could send it to my brothers and show them I was working out a lot. <laughs> they weren't convinced. I don't know why. I think Harris is just not that talented. <laughs> Messages you get on Instagram. Is this person really who they are or not? Dating sites that you use to try to meet somebody. Is this person who they really claim to be or not? Or is it a scammer? Jesus says this really matters. You ever had a nightmare? You wake up from the nightmare and you're really not sure for a little while, was this real or was this not real? That's a frightening moment, isn't it? When you may even know, waking up, this is not exactly real, but it's so powerful right now that I'm still sweating. I'm still shaking. 
And sometimes you want to go back to find out what happened. It's just a little bit closer back, just for a moment, but that's a frightening prospect too. Jesus says in Matthew 7, this is everything, that knowing what is real and not real is everything. He says this, He says, He who builds his life on me and my sayings is like him who builds his house upon a rock. And he who hears my sayings but doesn't do my sayings is like him that builds his house upon a sand. And the rains come and the house that's built upon the rock remains and the house built upon sand disintegrates. What you build your life on, whether it's real or not real, is everything, isn't it? Then that which is genuine or pure. Think of the plight of Solomon. So purity is opposed to pollution. That which is real or genuine is opposed to that which is a lie. So think of the plight of Solomon for a moment. As he has these two very... Uh, very... um, assertive and, um, and, and insisting women that this baby that they are having a tug of war with belongs to each of them or one as opposed to the other. He's, he knows that one has an agenda and is not telling the truth. But there's no way to discern from her insistence in the moment which one is true and which is not true. One is lying. One is polluted. One is seeking to steal another one's possession, their most precious possession. And the other one is about to lose that which is most precious to her. But even Christians, those who don't have an agenda, can struggle with this, right? This is what Jesus addresses in Matthew 18. That we can, we can know in our heads that we have been forgiven this amount of debt that we really cannot even number or fathom. and We've been freely and fully forgiven this debt, but in our heart, in our thinking, it's not right to take our hand off the one who owes us something far, 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 far less. So even a Christian can struggle with pollution or does struggle with pollution in regards to truth. We can know forgiveness and even love forgiveness in one context and then hate it in the other. Despise it in the other. You you can tell someone, Hebrews 12 message, beware, be careful, lest this root of bitterness spring up in you and trouble you and you'd be defiled by it. And in the mind and the heart of the one who's resistant, they're like, you know what? That may be true of somebody else, but I, there, there, is, there, is a, there is a nourishment. It's the opposite. There's a nourishment to me holding on to this that the Bible says will defile me. And so pollution, impurity, lies are a real challenge to us, aren't they? You ever play the telephone game? It's a fun game, fun party game where you all get in a circle and then one person whispers into the ear of the other some, something and then you go around and you make it, make, it makes its way around the circle and then you reveal at the end 
what the original statement was, and the conclusion was far, far, far different. Everybody laughs and has a good time. But the reality is that life is something like the telephone game. Except the stakes are much, much higher. That as it were, you're at the end to receive the information, and you're holding in your hands two pills. One is red. It says po- it is poison. The other is blue. You don't know which one is which, though. The other is blue. It is life. And the people in the game, in the circle, aren't all your friends. There are whispers that are occurring across, and they're going to tell you, this is life, this is life, this is life, and it gets to the end, and are you ready to eat, to eat the pill? No, if not, not if you're wise. Because there's lies that are all around us. Pollution. And then the idea, as we mentioned, is the third one is that which is revealed. So opposed to being concealed. I can't see it. This is a very real thing too, isn't it? Think about Judas Iscariot. He lives for three years in the presence of the Lord of glory. He sees the purity just emanating from His very being. The words that He speaks that are truth and pure and light. The deeds that He does that are good. The right that He is. He sees Him in all His his veiled but very real glory. And 30 pieces of silver were more valuable to him than Jesus. Because the truth, he who is the truth, was concealed from Judas Iscariot. And that's sobering that you say, but I'm a Christian, that can't happen to me. But the Bible says that's true for Christians as well. It can be. So think of the story of Peter who is also in the close proximity of Christ and who loves Christ, who ultimately would give his life for Christ. And yet in that moment, when the glory of Christ was unveiled on the mountain, and you can read the different gospel accounts, and one says he just didn't know what to say. He didn't know what to do. But the glory of Christ, whom he's walked with, is fully Unveiled for a moment to where the, where the, 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 the glory was as, as, the, as, as, as snow and the lighter than the noonday sun. And he, but there also is two other people there. Elias, Elijah, and Moses. What do Elijah and Moses represent? Elijah and Moses represent the law, or Moses the law, and Elijah the prophets. And the law of God was good. And the prophets were faithful. Some of them were faithful to deliver the word of God. But the law and the prophets could not deliver one single soul. And and Peter says, you know what? Let's just build three tabernacles for each of you. As if they're all on the same footing. It was just concealed to him, wasn't it? Glory unveiled. And yet still concealed. And so it took a thundering voice from heaven to bring the veil away from Peter's eyes. As Jesus says, this 
Jesus, I mean, the Father says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hallelujah for that, by the way, sinners. Hear ye Him. God who sent the law, God who sent the prophets, but God is well pleased with His word of truth who will bring salvation to those like Peter who dwell in darkness. You know, the Bible makes, makes provisions in the law for the reality that something is just concealed to us. Truth is not just apparent to, to us. The Bible says, you know, unless there are two or three witnesses, sometimes two, sometimes there's three, then the matter can't be established on one witness. And yet the reality is, sometimes two or three witnesses aren't enough. Right? Have you ever been with, some, with a group of people and you all experienced the very same experience and then you told the experience and it all sounded kind of different? Why is that? Because we are not all knowing and all remembering, are we? And friends, this is not hypothetical either, is it? Something can seem so real, can be so real, that all the witnesses in the world at times aren't enough to convince us of truth or not truth. Jesus prays, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so as we begin this morning, here's just just two foundational truths about truth. And we'll think more about truth. So two foundational things about truth, just as we begin this. Number one, this is a prayer of Jesus, isn't it? Jesus is praying to the Father, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. This is a prayer of Jesus. What that, what that should say to us is a prayer. Is that grasping truth or living in truth is a spiritual exercise. Grab that. In other words, Truth is more about transformation than it is about information. A knowledge grab alone will not end in truth. You can be right and still not be in truth. Isn't that something? The devils believe. They they, they give their assent to the truth that God is God. Yet nobody would claim the devils are walking in truth or really grasping truth as it says to be grasped. So truly, grabbing truth is a spiritual exercise. It's more than just a knowledge grab. Oh, how important it is for us to, 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 uh, to, uh, to understand that. We'll get that a little bit more in a few minutes. Number two... I don't know how better to say this. Truth is the Holy Grail. It's everything. It's everything. In the very next chapter, the very, sort of the, one of the ne- very next scenes, you see Pilate and Jesus together in this seminal moment. And Jesus is saying, you know, I have this kingdom, but it's not of this world. 
And that's why, that's the reason, Pilate, that my servants aren't right now bearing arms, taking up their sword to go fight against to fight to release me. Because my kingdom is not of this world. That's why I'm not, that's why I'm not speaking up to defend myself. That's why my servants aren't fighting. But my kingdom is not from here. So Pilate asked the question, so are you a king? Jesus says to Pilate, Thou sayest that I'm a king. To this end was I born to be a king. And for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. What is the truth? The truth is that there's a king of kings. The truth is that there's a kingdom that cannot be moved. The truth is of the increase of the kingdom there shall be no end. And that the king who sits upon the throne is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, and that the king has come to the earth to reign over this kingdom. And this kingdom is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. To this end was I born, to this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. This is a, this is a really important moment, isn't it? Because the man who he holds in his, in his hands, as it were, the man whose fate he holds in his hands, is claiming to be the king of glory. The king over all. He's claiming to be the one who will one day judge Pilate's soul and either usher Pilate into everlasting life or cast him into everlasting punishment that is reserved for all days, all those who don't know the truth. And Pilate says, what's truth? What's truth? In other words, what does it matter? All I know, and so then he goes, by the way, he goes out, he goes, he goes to the Jews, he proves that truth is meaningless. He says to the Jews, he says, listen, I don't find any fault in this man. I think he's, I think he's, I think you got to see him wrong. We know that he's troubled by this. We know his wife is greatly troubled by this. And yet all this, these troubling, perplexing doubts in Pilate's mind are not enough to persuade him so he tells the truth is not that meaningful to him and so he, he says you know what I find no fault in him but you have a custom that at this feast one is released into you what, do you want me to release to you the king and they shout we Want Barabbas. Isn't that amazing? And so Pilate releases Barabbas. Is truth meaningful? It's everything, isn't it? Pilate releases the king of glory and exchanges him for a common thief and murderer. Sealing his own fate, as it were. Not the fate of Jesus, but the fate of Pilate. So Jesus would say in this same chapter of John 17, Does truth matter? This is life eternal. 
that they might know Thee. Know You. The only true God. And Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. The same John would write it in a very similar way in 1 John 5.20. Here's what he says, And we know, and we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may... Give us an understanding that we may know Him that is true, and we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. So God has given us this knowledge. He gives us this understanding to know Him that is true. We are in Him that is true. It is Jesus Christ, His Son. This is the true God and eternal life. It is eternal life to know the true God. It's everything. Jesus would also say to those who doubted Him in John 8, you sh- and to those who b- believed in Him, He says, if you believe that you are my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and what? And the truth shall make you free. Knowing Christ and knowing His ways, knowing reality, having the, the, the veil pulled away, knowing purity, that's what frees you. Oh, oh, what a message. What a message the world needs to hear. Nothing else will free you except truth. No wonder the writer in 3 John, John would also say, I have no greater joy, no greater joy, than to know that my children are walking in the truth. Scripture displays truth as this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. And we can see that, right? When people are in reality and not in imagination. When people are walking in, 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 in revelation. When people are walking in purity. That is beautiful. And Scripture assents to that. Psalm 1. In fact, the word that Scripture seems to use a lot for the, the, the outworking of truth is, is fruit. Psalm 1. He who is meditating day and night is like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth this fruit so you think of fruit and you think of, you think of nourishment and, and, and health and joy and there's product and there's not famine and there's not starvation and there's not um, the shriveling of the soul but instead there's this very healthy, beautiful place. There's fruit because there's truth and there's a grasping and a thirsting after truth. You can also reference uh, Philippians 1.9. As you're, as you're growing in wisdom. So, you know, <laughs> the man in our first story, somebody somewhere is engaging in trafficking. is a horrible, horrible thing. So that's a fact. But to know what to do with those facts, how to discern is a different thing. We need wisdom, right? And so Philippians 1 says that my prayer is that you would grow in knowledge and in wisdom or discernment that you would approve things that are excellent. And then it says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. That as you're growing in wisdom, as you're growing in understanding, you are being filled with fruits of righteousness. Jesus says the same thing in John 15. As He's the true vine, you abide in me, you'll bring forth much, much, much fruit. The context here in John 17 this truth matter. Jesus is saying this to these people who are vulnerable. Um, he's praying for their protection. He's praying for their purity. And He says they need truth. They need truth. Well, 
don't know how far we'll get this morning, but let's just continue on. The prayer is, sanctify them through Thy truth. I like that phrasing. Sanctify them through Thy truth. It's as if Jesus and His words is prescient to common terms in our 2023 enlightenment, isn't He? Thy truth. <laughs> Did you ever hear that? <laughs> as the common understanding, really, about truth is that it is something that is personal. And, and you are the um, manager of your truth. And so, Jesus is saying, well, I've got some too. <laughs> no, 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 that's not what He's saying at all, is it? Jesus is anticipating the, the relative of our current day where there are many, many ways to God and there are many, many truths that are, as we said a moment ago, the product of our human conception. We're not too far from that. In fact, I think we live there a lot of times. We may mock those who would take some different roads than we would in saying in the, the outworking of, of my truth, but we tend to want truth that is convenient to us. Here's a little mild one. It's freezing cold when it's like 70 degrees in our house. Says my better half. Well, it's not actually freezing cold. <laughs> right? She's going to get me back later today. When Jesus says, Thy truth, Jesus is saying really two things. He is making a claim that there is objective reality. Okay? There is one reality. And He is claiming... He's declaring that God, His Father, is the sole source of truth. So there is reality as opposed to imagination. There is true and there is false. There is right and there is wrong. There is real and there is imagined. There is wisdom and there is foolishness. And... God is, we just said, is the ultimate source of all this truth. We can spend a lot of time here, we won't, but let me just say this. God qualifies under all three categories we mentioned earlier. Remember, He is uh, the, the category of reality, the category of purity, the category of revelation. God qualifies under all three categories. Let's think about it just for a moment. Scripture refers to God as the, the true and living God. This is referring both to His living nature, His abiding nature that is both forever in the future, but also goes, descends all the way back to the eternity past, as it were. So God is the one who was before the beginning, and God is the one who is the author of the beginning. So, Colossians 1 would say it this way, Colossians 1, you know this passage well probably, but Colossians 1 says this, Speaking of Jesus, who is the Word of God, Colossians 1 says, For by Him were all things created, 
And I love how the different creation, creation declarations about Jesus, they might point to people here is of more than just people. It is, it, is, it, is, it is kingdoms and systems and everything in between. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And by Him all things consist. And it moves down into the church after that. So God is the source of all things. As a source of all things, and the creator of all things, then God understands reality, doesn't He? In fact, it says, not only does He understand it, but He understands it so well that He holds all of reality together. Everything that is stays in position, is held together, does not descend into chaos because God holds it in His hands. Revelation, the next chapter, speaking of Christ, verse 3, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Another passage is Romans 11, one of my favorites. Romans 11, verse 33. There's nothing hidden from God. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been His counselor, or who hath first given to Him, and it shall be recompensed to Him again. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. Aren't you grateful to know, aren't you sort of in awe to know that there is nothing that is concealed from God? Because God is the treasure and the source of all things. That He has all wisdom. He has all understanding. There's nothing that's hidden from Him. He is truth. But the, the clincher, and really the sweetener, the sugar in the cereal, is this, and he's pure in this knowledge. This is the great declaration of God to Israel, Deuteronomy 32. Let me declare unto you God in His glory. He's a rock. His work is perfect. All His ways are judgment. He always judges justly. All His ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is He. The psalmist would sing about this in Psalm 12. In Psalm 12, the psalmist would say, Help, Lord. He's singing in a moment. He's not singing yet, is He? Maybe He's living where you live. And he's crying to God for help. Why is he crying to God for help? For the godly man ceaseth. In other words, I can't find anybody pure. There's no purity around me. They're all whispering in my ear, and I know they're lying to me. The godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of man. They speak vanity, every one of his neighbor, with flattering lips, and with a double heart do they speak. Isn't that interesting? By the way, how instructive that is. The lies 
that oftentimes trip us up the most are the flattering lips. The lips that are telling us exactly what we already believe about ourselves already. What we already want to hear. This is the great... This is oh, going a lot of places here, but this is the great lie that you'll find young girls on Instagram when every single picture that you post will be followed by, that's so beautiful, unbelievably beautiful. That's um, incredible. I can't even say it. I don't know how to say that words, but it's true, isn't it? You know, that's ne- they're never speaking truth there. Those are the flattering lips that are expecting you to say the exact same thing to, to, to them when they post their picture. Here's what it says. A double heart they're speaking to you with. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. Who have said with our tongue will we prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us for the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy. Now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. Isn't that wonderful? The Lord sees this. He said, I'm going to rise up to, to, to speak out on behalf of those who are oppressed and those who are needy. And you can know this when God is speaking to you, He will be speaking pure words. He'll speak exactly the word that you need to hear for your good. Oh, He's a God of truth. He's just and He's right. And yet, brothers and sisters, oh, this is why Jesus is praying this, right? Remember, this is a spiritual exercise. It cannot be just grasped with facts. We will reject God's words every single time unless God transforms our heart to receive His Word. I don't know what time it is. I need to quit pretty soon. We're going to finish this tonight. But let me just move on a little bit farther. Sanctify them through Thy truth. It's God's truth. It belongs to Him. The next phrase that we'll look at is sanctify them. Sanctify them. To be sanctified is, is, to be, is to be different than that which is common. So what this should tell us is that the common place is not grasping, living in truth. The common, the regular is pollution and being, having truth concealed from us and living in vanity or non-reality. To be sanctified is to be made holy, to be set apart from that which is common. Again, we'll say it again, grasping truth is spiritually not naturally gained. So let me make just a couple of points here about this. Sanctification, being set apart, being made uncommon. Sanctification is both is both understanding reality. I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not diminishing the importance of knowledge this morning. Sanctification is both understanding reality, but it is also conforming to reality. So understanding and conforming. 
It's believing that reality. It's believing it which is revealed by God, but it's also a pure response to what is revealed. Does that make sense? It's both. So it's, it's submitting to truth. It's, it's loving truth. It's living truth. Yes, it's understanding, but it's more than that. I don't think that's a common understanding. I think a common understanding is that if... Well, we'll get to the next point, I guess. Let's go ahead and move to the next point. Here it is. Failure... Failure to grasp truth is more a heart problem than it is an intellectual problem. When I say grasp, I mean to submit to truth. I mean to live in truth. To live in reality. It's more of a heart thing than it is an intellectual thing. It is an intellectual thing, but it's also a heart thing. This is what Scripture would say. Knowledge is necessary, but knowledge alone doesn't bring truth. That's just not how we live. <laughs> we live, most of the time, in this way, if we can just get enough facts, if we can get the right facts, then we are in the truth. And so our approach to life is pretty much an encyclopedia approach. Now, encyclopedia is dead now, but Google's not, is it? Facebook groups aren't, are they? Amazon has an almost infinite number of books that you can get on any subject written by Christian authors saying wholly different things, completely different things, but the same subject. We have YouTube. We have theological books, and we have the Bible. And none of those, including the Bible, are enough to ensure that you have the truth. Not alone. Now, if you think that I'm saying the Bible is not the truth, not sufficient truth, you're wrong. That's not what I'm saying. Keep listening. Okay? But just having the Bible as a, as a knowledge grab to lead you to believe that I am in the truth, it's wrong. Let me give you a couple of examples. One of them would be the woman at the well. Okay? So in John 4, this woman who's a great sinner finds herself in a very uncomfortable predicament as she is... Um, as she is encountering this one who's clearly a prophet and knows a lot about her. And so she, she moves, it seems to be, intentionally, she moves from this discussion about her personal life that is very uncomfortable to this theological discussion. This long-running debate between the Samaritans and the Jews as to where the proper place of worship was. Now, I, we don't know, we can read too far into the story, we don't know for sure what she's doing there, but it sure seems like this. It sure seems, seems that she can get this guy off of her, she can salve her conscience, she can feel like she's in the right place if she can find out 
what the answer to this age-old theological question is and know the right place where worship should be taking place, where God is really interested in worship. And I think, friends, sometimes we take that approach to truth. If I can just get the right facts. And Jesus says, wait a minute. There is some, some knowledge there that, that the Samaritans have it wrong. Jerusalem is the place where to worship. But, but here's the reality. The reality is that, that God is seeking... The coming day is both these places will be gone. But God will still be worshipped. And God is seeking worshipers who will worship Him in spirit and truth. It's words are really joined together. God is seeking something that is genuine. God is seeking something that is pure. God wants real worship. Worship that comes both from the knowledge of who He is, from a heart that is drawn towards Him. Here's another example. 1 Corinthians 8. Talking about knowledge. In this passage, it's amazing how much knowledge is here. Here's the, here's the situation. There's a dispute in the church as to whether certain meats can be eaten or not eaten. And there are some people in the church who have a lot of knowledge. Here's what they know. They know that there is one God. They know that idols are nothing. There's only one God. There are not many gods. There's only one. So even if this food, this meat has been offered to these idols, it doesn't really matter. Those idols don't exist. They're not real. They're not genuine. They're they're imaginary. They don't exist. There's one God. He's given us the meat to be eaten in due season. And thanks, we can eat meat. Hallelujah. They're right. They're all right. They're exactly right. There is one God, not many. This meat is okay to eat. They know more than that. They know that we are in Him. Verse 6. They know there's one Lord Jesus Christ. They know that by Christ are all things. And we live, we exist by Him. We're saved by Him, they know. And Paul says to all that, he says, not congratulations, you're right, go eat the meat. He says two things. One of the boys says, this knowledge is going to puff you up. Be careful. But it will not edify. It will not lead to truth. Secondly, he says, there are some that don't know that. And you, through your knowledge, if it's all you have, may cause this person who's weak to, to die, to perish. In other words, you may cause them to, 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 to fall away. They, they may be so shocked that here are these Christians who are still eating this meat that's been offered to I. I can't believe they're doing that, and they don't have the same knowledge that you have, and they just fall away, he says. Perish. What an interesting text, isn't it? And so he says, you can't just say, we get to eat meat. It's not that clear. You can eat meat... If everyone is edified, but if there's one 
who may not have the same knowledge that you have and may misunderstand, you've got to eat salad today. You have to. Isn't that something? Now, do they need to be brought to greater knowledge? Absolutely. But there's a greater, there's a greater standard for being in truth than just having the knowledge. So you may be able to read the Bible and be convinced that capitalism is the best form of government. I would say it is. But if your heart is greedy and you don't, you know, as, as uh, reading Boaz's story the other day, leaving the gleaning on the edges for the, for, for the poor, if your heart is greedy and you oppress the poor, you don't have the truth. You may be convinced that, 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 there are two, that, two, that there are two genders, sexes, that are based upon biological, objective reality. And that you are a man and it's double biologically. But if you are not living in a God-glorifying way, as a man, you're not a true man. Or a true woman for the other way. You may be convinced that an honest day's work is good. If you work hard, it's a good thing. It's a good day. But the Bible says it's more than that. That the plowing of the wicked is sin. And that whatever's done in faith, that whatever's not done in faith is sin. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13, you can have all knowledge. And then the ability to explain this knowledge very well. Impeccable oratorical skills. And be nothing. Nothing. Friends, this is why David would pray. There's two prayers this morning. David would pray in Psalm 119 verse 18. Number one, open my eyes. Open my eyes. We haven't even gotten to the gospel. We've got to close. We'll get there tonight, or will we? And then, here's the reality. Jesus is praying for you to be sanctified. I want to depress you. I want us to be not full of ourselves. But Jesus is praying that you can know truth. Okay? So there's a very positive end to this. But, but here's the prayer we're going to end with. Two prayers. Open my eyes, Lord. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. But here's the other prayer. Psalm 96.11. I will walk. I want to walk in your truth. I want to be free. Is there anybody in bondage today? Would you just, there are some things in our life that are binding us down. Binding me down. Let me tell you what I suspect. Because the Bible shows it. I suspect it's a whole lot less a knowledge problem and a whole lot more a heart problem. So David says in Psalm 11, Lord, teach me your ways. Teach me your ways. I will walk in your truth, but unite my heart to fear your name. Sanctify them through that truth. Thy word is truth. Uh, let, me just, let me just close this way. That, that, that passage, I don't know for sure, but it may have a double meaning. Um, we're going to get to the Word tonight and Jesus is saying, God, you've given this glorious Word. The Word of God is truth. 
But, but remember that the book of John, how the book of John begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word of God. So Jesus is the manifestation of God's truth. And so it may be that when Jesus is praying, sanctify, in fact, I know it is, because I mean, for the rest of the context of the chapter, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. It may be that Jesus desires you to be sanctified so much. Jesus desires you to know truth so much. Jesus desires you to not to be pure for the, for the, for the concealing to be ripped away that you can see so much that Jesus is praying for His own death there. We know He is earlier. Thy word is truth. Lord, sanctify. In fact, that's what He says in the next couple of verses later. Sanctify. Lord, I want them to be truly, fully sanctified. And the way to sanctification is for the word of God. The word of God. The truth of God. The one who is filled with grace and truth. Not the law. Not the prophets. But the grace and truth joined perfectly in the person of the Word of God, Jesus Christ, as Psalm 85 says, at the cross, mercy and truth meet together and righteousness and peace kiss each other. So that Jesus Christ, the Word of God, the expression of the truth of God, gives His own life, Hebrews 9.13, to sanctify them that they may be purged that we may have our eyes opened to be able to even pray, Lord, open my eyes. I understand, Lord, there's some, there's some knowledge problems I have and there's some heart problems I have. And I don't know where they all mix together just perfectly. But some of those things sounded pretty familiar he talked about earlier today. And so, God, I need you, but I believe that through Jesus Christ, you have made a way for me to walk in truth. So give it to me, Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for John 17, 17. Thank you that Jesus Christ is both the offering, the offering and the one who's offering this prayer. So He is interceding for every single elect child of God in this room. For every single believer in Christ. Right now, Jesus Christ is praying and has gained our entrance into a new and living way that we may walk in truth. Father, would you take away whatever is concealing us from being able to see reality? If it's a resistance in our heart or understanding, Father, we just, we just put it before you. Some, some bondage that people walk in breaks our hearts. Father, for those who are stubbornly resisting the Word of God, would you, would you rip it away? that they may see. They may see the beauty, the fruit, the life that is in Jesus Christ. I pray in Jesus' name and amen.